Hey everyone and welcome to this special edition of Risky Business recorded at Ossert's 2013 conference on the Gold Coast. I'm Patrick Gray. All of our Ossert podcasts are sponsored by Sophos, security made simple, Datacom TSS, discrete, niche, tailored, and bugcrowd.com, outsourced bug bounty programs. Big thanks to all of our sponsors for making it possible for us to bring you all these podcasts. And you can follow all of our Ossert coverage at risky.biz slash Ossert or via the RB2 RSS feed at risky.biz slash feeds. The following is a recorded presentation from Ossert and it's by Al Blake, the Chief Information Officer of the Department of Sustainability, Environment, Water, Population and Communities. And he's talking about BYOD, basically, uh, from an Australian government perspective. Now, it's not an overly technical talk, but it's a good overview of what a CIO like him has to consider when allowing staff to use their own devices in a heavily regulated and sort of conservative environment. This talk will be interesting to people facing similar challenges. Now, as I say, not super technical, but if you're in management uh, and you want to hear about approaches that your uh, contemporaries have taken, it's definitely worth listening. So here's Al Blake with his Ossert 2013 talk. Okay, uh, morning everyone. Hopefully everyone can, uh, can hear me. Uh, as Catherine said, my name's Al Blake. I'm the CIO for the, the Federal Environment Department. We have a very long and complicated name, so Sustainability, Environment, Water, Population and Communities. And you get a point at the end if you can remember that. Um, but commonly known as the Environment Department. What I'm going to talk about this morning is our experience in the use of mobile devices, um, and particularly in a, in a government um, a federal government department. So I'll give you just a little bit of context about who we are. There's not a whole heap of this, but just to give you an idea of where I'm coming from. We've got around about 2,500 users on our network, and the vast majority of them, as you would expect, they're in a, a big big tower block, or well, three big tower blocks, actually, in, in Canberra. Um, they pretty much look like, like I do. Sometimes they wear ties and sometimes they don't, but they're public servants. Um, and the rest of, rest of the people are distributed across Darwin, Hobart, Antarctica, Christmas Island, Norfolk Island. So you can see that we've got a concentration in Canberra, but we've also got a lot of people associated with the department and its uh, agencies that are spread across the country, um, and they're doing different things, like they might be rangers in Kakadu National Park, those sorts of things. Uh, for the... People that are aware of how the government classifies things, we have what's now called an unclassified network. It used to be called an in-confidence network, but fundamentally it's still government data, it still needs to be protected, but essentially it's at the unclassified level. And we also have a protected enclave, so a more secure part of the network that's a virtual network you can go into. Um, just out of interest, how many people in here, if anyone, works in government? Oh, good grief. Okay. How many people work in the federal government? Okay, all right. Well, apologies both ways. I apologise to the people that don't work in government for the government references and apologise for the government people who are going, yeah, yeah, we know all about this. So I'm basically going to upset everybody. Um, we, have, we, we have had historically our executive staff have had a contract provision that says um, we, as in the department, as in my team, will provide them with home computing. So we will care and tend and feed that service and we will come around and we will talk to Telstra and we will get their modem working and we will make sure their broadband works and why their printer's jammed. And you can appreciate that we've also, like everybody else, whether you're government or not, for the last oh, 18 months or more, we've been grappling with this increasing pressure to um, be able to use modern mobile devices. 
And to be honest, you know, fundamentally, the, the, the main pressure in our space was iPads and iPhones. But really, it's the whole issue with consumerisation. Um, we have a minister who is very, very, very uh, technologically savvy. We have a secretary who's the equivalent of our CEO who is very, very technologically savvy. They are very much iPhone, uh, iPad fans. And um, I was basically told, you know, the first day I was in the office and the first day that I met the, the minister, it was, well, how are you going to connect my iPad by the end of the week? Now... 18 months ago, that was a big scary prospect because this was very, very new. And again, anyone in government will know we have a whole pile of security and other regulations and policies that we have to comply with. And just saying, just connect that consumer thing and make it happen by the end of the week was pretty challenging. But as I often say to my, my team when we're kind of you know, tearing our hair out of the latest uh, phone call, uh, we have been in the situation where we've had senior staff, senior executives who don't like IT who think everything bad comes from IT. Why would we want anything new in this space? We just waste money. So which would you prefer? And personally, although it's challenging, I prefer the executives to be pushing us and requesting new things rather than continually pushing back and saying we don't want anything. Okay, so I'm going to take you on a journey, and it's a journey with a few dead ends. Um, I'm really... I, I, I can probably get all the engineers can all leave the room right now because I'm not really going to talk about bits and bytes and networks and subnet masks. Um, I'm a CIO, so I don't do that anymore. Um, long, long time ago, I just about remember what a subnet mask is. But what I'm going to talk about is the, a lot of the organisational challenges and the policy challenges and the difficulties that we had in coming up with a mobile approach for our organisation that would allow us to use all these new things that everybody wants. Um, but still comply with all the things we have to comply with as a government agency. Now, we started this about 18 months ago, and um, we took a, a, very, a very traditional approach. And what I mean by traditional was huge pressure from executives, you will make this work. We had a week to do it. We went out and brought a security product that could give us some level of security. Um, interestingly enough, I was looking this up last night. I love this picture. That's his daughter not his wife. I don't know whether that makes that scarier or not. It scares the hell out of me, I tell you, but you can, you can make your own judgment. Um, painted in the 1930s and famously used at the beginning of the Rocky Horror Show. Nothing to do with the presentation. Um, so we took a very traditional approach, just like these guys. And what I mean by that, it was a traditional approach in that we bought the hardware, we gave it to the people, we set it up, we controlled every feature. We made sure that we did TRAs. When a new version came out, we looked at the new version, the new version of the hardware, the new version of the software. So essentially, we achieved what we were trying to do. And I just noticed Stephen's here in, in the room, former colleague of mine who was at the forefront of that, of literally getting it out to the minister in this very short frame, time frame. So we did that. But it was basically, it was very traditional. And it worked in the it locked down the security and it gave us a sort of warm inner glow in terms of being able to say to the security people, we've done all the right things. But the real concern was it worked when it was for six or eight or 10 or 15 people. And I was sitting there sort of looking down the barrel of a gun going, we are never going to be able to contain this to six or eight or 10 or 15 people. We can do that in the first instance because we can say it's only the senior, senior, senior execs. But at some point, we're going to have to go, now it's available to everybody. And we've got 2,500 people and a certain percentage of those people are going to want to use these two things like iPhones, iPads and so on. How are we going to scale this up with decreasing resources, 
you will pay my salary through taxes. You don't want me to have a huge, great big, you know, additional people running around looking after people's iPads, iPhones and all the rest of it. Um, we're never going to get the resources to carry on in a traditional way of setting up the iPad, configuring the iPad, taking the iPad to give it the person, making every change, having our back-end software control every piece of the iPad. So we had to look at what we're going to do down the track, how we're going to approach it, and this is what really scared me, right? These are really scary. You thought the last picture was scary. These things here, which I guarantee a large number of you have sitting at home right now, well, probably at school, actually, but have in your household, they will undermine any security policy you come up with. Guarantee it. All right? You think no problem at all. They are what will break your security policy. Um, I can prove it because we gave out these carefully locked down devices to several senior managers, a small number of senior managers, um, with the normal instructions that these are departmental devices and, you know, they're not to be used by other people, they're secure, they've got to have password control and so on and so forth. And um, one of them, the screen was broken because their daughter dropped it down the stairs watching a movie. Now, why did we think that wouldn't happen? Yeah, of course it's going to happen. You've given someone something that is attractive, that the kid is screaming, they're in the back of the car, they're on a long trip. You say, watch a bloody movie, you know. But now you've immediately, if you're dependent on the security of that device, if your policy is dependent on the security of that device, you've just undermined it. And it's human nature. So how the hell are we going to get over that? How are we going to give, effectively give out these very attractive things that, goodness sake, they do play movies and they do have kids' games on and they do have all these things and um, not have our security undermined by effectively non-authorised users in a government context using the device. Um, one of the, we, we used to have, like most organisations, we had a, a BlackBerry fleet for the um, best part of four or five years, no, probably longer, six years, and um, it worked well, did everything that it wanted to do, but my kids never wanted to borrow my BlackBerry. Well, they did once, and they thought, oh, this is rubbish, Dad, you know, and they went back to their normal thing. So in other words, there wasn't that driver for the kids and the extended family and so on to say, I actually want to use the thing. So the pressure wasn't there. It absolutely is. And I guarantee you that most parents, when push comes to shove and the kid's screaming, will go, just watch a bloody movie. Okay. Um, we'd already identified, so, so I had concerns about the, the, the security model that we're going into. I also had real concerns about the supportability of the, uh, of the model that we were going into. And as I said, we'd been in a very traditional model that was basically come from our desktop approach, where we have a standard SOE and we have standard hardware and we patch it in a standard way and we try and ensure everyone gets the patch and we do testing and so on and so forth. Now, if you start taking that metaphor and you say, we're going to do the same thing for these kinds of devices, which I used to say, well, I said a desktop device used to last about four years in a, a, a commercial office environment, and then you'd replace it. I, I used to say these last 18 months, and then Apple proved me wrong, and they released the iPad 4 th six months after they released the iPad 3. So essentially, you're now looking at devices that change on a consumer basis in six months or less. So are you going to tie up support resources in making sure that you can test and patch and update every single one of those different devices from every single one of those different manufacturers, let alone the number of changes that there are in the operating systems and the applications in that period of time. It's a 
it's potentially a huge support overhead and it's potentially going to drain your organisation and consume all your budget, all your people and all your resources, in my view, if you keep going down that, that road that we used to use when we were deploying desktops. Okay? So support overhead was a, a major concern for us. Um, now the next one, excuse me, I'll just uh, have a drink. The next one won't make any sense to anyone that doesn't work in government. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and it's when I start frothing at the mouth and screaming and banging my head on the floor. Um, if you're in government, particularly if you're in the Commonwealth government, there are very, very strict rules about how you spend Commonwealth money. There's a thing called the FMA Act, which controls how you spend the money, and then it has lots of sub-clauses. You can do this, you can't do that. But essentially, um, the FMA Act says you have to have permission to spend government money as part of Regulation 9 of the FMA Act. But the FMA Act was written when people were thinking you were going to buy a bridge or you were going to go and buy a road or, at the very least, you were going to go and buy 5,000 desktops. The FMA Act wasn't written when people thought that you were going to buy applets for iPads. Now, I, we, spent, we spent nearly 12 months on this, right? And it felt like we were just going down endless rabbit holes. It's now, you know, people can't believe what you're telling them, but I joke not. We had endless conversations how if we bought those devices and we gave them to staff, how did they procure the $3.99 app from the app store? Because they don't have FMA Act Reg 9 approval for that purchase, Worse still, I know it's bizarre, it's like being in the Holland Bend, but it's absolutely true, and it just shows that we had a mindset that was based on an old type of paradigm. Worse still, um, you'll be aware that fundamentally Apple has set these things up as a a single-user device, single-user with a single iTunes account connected to a single credit card. How do we do that in the government? going to give everyone a credit card, going to issue 2,500 credit cards so that they can download a 2.99 app from the app store that they still don't have Reg 9 approval for. So they'll have to fill in a form to get Reg 9 approval to get the app to the... No, OK, no, 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 we've got a better idea. I know what. We'll just have a couple of credit cards. All right, so we'll give you a credit card. Gentleman over there looks like he's trustworthy. He can have a credit card and he can download all the apps. Oh, no, hang on, if he downloads all the apps, they're all on his iTunes account, they won't work for me. Better idea, I know what, we'll get him to log on to every iPad, put his iTunes account on and use his credit card. Then they'll come down. But now his credit cards on that iTunes account on that device, when I go and download an update, or I say, well, actually, I want that, Apple, that app as well, I've now used his credit card that I'm not authorised to use because I don't have the Red 9 approval because it's his credit card. Can you see the sort of ridiculous spiral that you can get into? Because you're still... There is a solution, by the way, if you hang with me to the end of the story. But the matter is, it just shows how your thinking can just be groupthink based on a previous paradigm, and you get into this ridiculous scenario. Um, So anyway, we we, we worked out that it really wasn't going to fly, saying either we'll have 2,000 credit cards or we'll pass the credit cards around, or any of those scenarios that we looked at were basically going to fail. Uh, and then, obviously, this is the one that everyone in the room will know about. We obviously had the um, had the concerns about security. I mean, essentially, if you use that device 
as, as it is out of the box. It's a single user device. You can set it up with no password, we all know that, or you can set it up with a pin, but basically, fundamentally, it's a single user device, and anyone that is on the device has access to the material on the device. That's the way it works. That's fantastic for a consumer device. That's the way consumer devices should work. And in fact, to be honest, um, Apple have put encryption in there and so on and so forth. So for a consumer device, it does have some nice security things. But for government, it's really scary. Because now essentially, this information that we are supposed to protect and we are supposed to say can only go to certain people now goes to anyone with the device. And I'm not, I'm only using the Apple as an example because that's the one we had the most pressure for. But you can, you know, you can substitute Android or anything else for that matter. It's still the fact that we're trying to look at consumer devices and we're trying to shoehorn them in to a government paradigm that was based on a previous, a previous world and they weren't designed for it. All right. Not the hardware, but the actual model, the business model wasn't designed for it. Okay. So. Next problem we had. Okay, so forget all those ones. We'll come to those later. We said, well, hang on. If we go down this track and we end up with, let's say we end up with a thousand of these. We've given them out. We followed the old model. We've given them out. So here we are. What are people going to do with them? Well, they're going to want to plug them in to back them up and copy files and all that sort of thing. They're going to plug them in. They're going to plug them in at work. And suddenly we're going to end up backing up terabytes of people's photos, music, etc., across our, our network to our very, very, very expensive tier one sand storage that we pay thousands of dollars a month to support. So the impact on the network and the impact on the storage and the impact of all the other things of saying, let's bring in all these things and still use the old model, i.e. people plug them in and they do what they, they, they want with them because they're government devices, they belong to the organisation is potentially going to kill the performance of all our other systems and give us a huge um, expensive bill. And then, of course, finally, I love this slide. I keep it in now because it's just wonderful. It's actually got a spelling mistake. You're welcome to make up your own spelling, I think it should be. Um, but, of course, the elephant in the room when we were looking at this was the whole BYOD thing. All right? We've got people that ha already have smart devices. Our approach traditionally was tough luck, you can't bring it, you can't connect it, and we were reasonably successful at, at um, enforcing that, because being in the dark ages, we didn't actually have wireless, so that made it kind of hard for them to connect them anyway. So these scenarios where people stand up and say, oh, well, they're all connecting anyway, and there's nothing you can do about it, there are some ways you can stop it, but I wouldn't recommend that don't have any wireless approach. Uh, but that worked for a while. Uh, but obviously, there's a groundswell of people saying, I own an iPhone, I own an iPad. Why can't I connect it? Why can't I get my mail? Why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? So, ooh. so in summary, the challenges that we faced and, and the things we had to address was we've got these non-staff, those, uh, those scary kids and other significant others using the devices, and we know we all have policies that say you may not give your credentials to other people, you may not give people access to government devices, but we know they all do it. We have evidence that they all do it. We've got the ridiculous procurement issues um, for trivial items. So in other words, the whole, have I got approval to spend this $2.99? And the administrative overhead in a government department of doing that in the traditional way. We've got the issue of security, so keeping our corporate data separate from our personal data. 
uh, on these devices that weren't designed to do that in the first place. We've got the endless administration and upgrade overhead and support, and there's a new model out, and it's got new features, and I want it, and when can I have it? And, of course, we've got the, the driver to can we somehow go down the, the, the BYOD path and, as a government department, allow people to use their own device without compromising those um, user or corporate compliance aspects. And for those that aren't in the government, we have a, we have a requirement to comply with a tome that DSD produced, the Defence Signals Directory, called the, the Information Security Manual, the ISM, and it says you can do this, you can't do that, so on and so forth. So there's a whole pile of rules and regulations that we as government organisations have to comply with from a whole of government basis. So what do we do? We need something with a sand pit. And even more, look at that, I didn't realise it's actually got bars around the outside of it. It's a secure sand pit. <laughs> anyway, the point is, is that we started down one particular approach, technology-wise, which involved us um, taking the model where we could... Uh, when we would manage every single aspect of the device, because that's what we used to do with desktops and laptops. You know, that was our standard approach. And fundamentally, it was a dead end for all those reasons I've identified. When we pulled back and said, well, what really matters? What are we actually trying to protect? Are we trying to protect the, um, you know, the barbecue photos you took last weekend? No, we're not. We don't care. I mean, we, you know, we don't want you to lose them for your benefit, but it really doesn't affect us as a government. Do we care about your music, um, uh, your music collection? No, we don't. Do we care what you're browsing? No, we don't, as long as it's not work time that you're doing it on. Um, what we care about is our information. And so what we started looking for was solutions that fundamentally um, separate our, our data, as in the government data, from the personal data. Now, um, I'm being very careful here because I'm, you know, I'm a good public servant and I can see the guys from, from good as standing. There's Joe's out at the back. There's a few other people around. So obviously we're using the, the good solution. I'll just put that out there. I'm not selling it to anybody. I'm just saying the thing we needed was that separation. We have to have that separation from the government data and the personal data. Um, and once you make that leap, once we made that paradigm shift, a whole pile of those other problems disappeared. But a whole pile of things that we were really, really worried about disappeared. Um, we said, OK, well, we're going to separate off. We're going to use this a secure container. And inside that, you've got your government data. You've got your mail. You've got your contacts. You've got your calendar. Um, and it's all encrypted. We don't care what you do with the rest of the device. More importantly, we don't have to manage the rest of the device. We don't care what, apart from a certain, you know, base level version of, of, of device, we don't care whether it's the latest or the last one or the one before that, because what we really care about is the secure container, which is where our government data is. Okay? It also, we took a radical rethink to our whole approach to, uh, managing our users in terms of what we got them to sign up for in the end user agreement. And we made it much, 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 much simpler. We said, if you're going to bring your device and connect it to our network, you're going to use your iTunes account. Hey, it's not our device. So we're not going through this rubbish of setting up government accounts or having one account for everybody or corporate procurement or all those things, because it's your device now. So you bring your device and you use your iTunes account. Do you know what? If it's your iTunes account, you use your credit card. 
Now, to make sure nobody thought they were being ripped off and nobody said, this is outrageous and how can the government do this and they're undermining our terms and conditions, we actually say, if you believe the purchase is for business reasons, you can claim reimbursement through normal channels. Oh, yeah, you can go through the petty cash regime that we've got for everything else. Do you know how many people have ever claimed the $2.99 app? A big, fat zero. So that whole administrative thing is now just dead. You've just said, look, we're letting you connect. You've got your iTunes. If you really, you know, you've really got a beef about that $2.99, be my guest. Fill in the form. We don't see finance. So we're not stopping you, but no one does. They just go, I've got iTunes anyway. I don't care. You know, I'll, what the hell? At the end of the day, you can claim the $2.99 on your tax bill if you want to. All right. We also said, well, you know, you know what? Now it's your device and you're using your iTunes account and you're using your credit card, you can use your PC to back it up. You don't have to plug it in on our network. All right? Now, we advise you to back it up because we don't want you to use, lose your music. We don't want you to lose your pictures. You know, that would be a good thing for you. Um, but at the end of the day, we don't care because the only data we care about is the data in the secure, um, the secure container, and we're taking care of that. We also said, well, um, we, we, may, we reserve the right to wipe your device, but we're going to try not to. But of course, because we've now got the stuff in a container, we can actually wipe the container independently. And that gives people a lot more of a comfort factor, that if something goes wrong, they lose it, whatever, or come for that matter, they, lo they leave the department. We go wipe on the container. They still have their pictures, their barbecue, their music, their summer. All right? And a few other sort of minor things. We control the password complexity. We don't allow um, jailbreak devices. And we make it very, very clear that the only applications they can get support for are the ones that are in the sandbox. In other words, if you're having problems with um, you know, angry birds interfering with your, your weather applet, talk to your mates. Go on the internet. Write a blog. I mean, I really don't care. There's plenty of people who will help you, but it's not going to be our corporate help desk. They will help you if you can't get connected. They will help you if there's a problem with the secure container application, but there's no obligation to help you with everything else. And once you've pulled back and gone, it's not our device anymore, you can start to do that. It's a different paradigm from saying, because it's ours, because it belongs to the Commonwealth, we've got to do everything with it. Okay. I'm just, I know you can't read that, but the only reason it's up there is that's the end user agreement. It takes 20 seconds to read it and an extra 10 seconds to go, I agree. Previous agreements we've had have been 10 pages long. Um, it's on our intranet, so there's no paperwork, thank goodness, and basically you just say, yes, I agree. And it's really a summary of what we've had before that said, you know, we, we'll try not to wipe it, but we may have to, and you've just got to understand that that's one of the things you're signing up for. Okay, so how's it going? Um, it is in production. I hate these presentations when you go and people say, oh, that's, oh, that's great, you know, and they say, well, I actually got it in pilot for eight people. Um, it is in production. We've got 350 people, and I mean, that changes on a weekly basis. Um, we, we did have some concerns, I guess, that there might be a perception that, well, hang on, you know, isn't this, isn't this my employer trying to take advantage of me to make me use my device? You know, I paid for it. Why should I do that? We actually found that, that, you know, that was a concern we had. It might be perceived that way. Didn't eventuate. In fact, it was completely the opposite. Basically, people bit our arms off to get onto the system because they already had this stuff. They just wanted to be able to work in a more flexible way, read their emails on a, you know, a device they were comfortable with. Many, many people said, 
I don't want to carry a BlackBerry and an iPhone. You know, I only carry the two because I, I can't do very much, with all due respect to BlackBerry at that time, I can't do what I want to do on the BlackBerry. So if I can now get my mail and my calendar on the iPhone and the Samsung Galaxy and so on, then that's what I'll carry and I'll have one device. Um, because we are using a um, secure container environment, of course, we're not, that, we're not as bothered about what the device is because our security perimeter is no longer the device. And in fact, the TRA that we did actually explicitly states that in the first paragraph. It says that essentially we are doing this TRA on the security or not of the container. So we've pulled back from the boundary of the device to the container. Containers all we care about. So it made it very, very simple for us to go, yeah, we started with iPhones, but hey, if you've got an Android, we don't care, connect it. You know, and, and this week we had the first person who said, can I connect my Windows phone? And we thought about it for about three minutes and said, yeah, because it's the same, essentially it's the same solution. All right? And it, what it really is, it's an extension of something we've all been doing for years where we've all been providing remote access um, over Citrix or whatever with an RSA token. We haven't gone to everybody's house and double-checked what PC they've got or which version of OSX they're running or what that we've gone, okay, we're pulling back the boundary, we're doing the security at this level, and basically we're not trusting what's out there. We don't trust the device, and that's the key change. So we're now looking um, at extending the the sandbox, adding more things into it. Obviously, out of the box, it comes with the things you, you'd expect. So it comes with mail, it comes with a calendar, contacts, a, a browser, all those sorts of things. But, you know, as soon as you put that in, then the question becomes, well, what else could we do? That's, that's the normal thing. You know, the, the excitement from the executive lasts for about five minutes, and then it's, that's great, but what's next? So what we're now doing is we're now adding in a number of um, third-party applications that can extend the functionality so um, provide file synchronisation, provide um, a mobile office application, so basically cut down Word, cut down Excel, cut down PowerPoint um, and a PDF editor. But the key thing is all within that boundary. So again, it makes it much, much easier for us to assess these things in terms of the security risk because we've already done the basic assessment on the container. And we're saying, well, that's what we care about. If it's inside the container, then... Um, we're far happier about it happening and we don't have to do the extensive TRO we'd have to do if it was just some random external application. I should point out, by the way, you know, as a caveat for anyone who's in government, we're not ASIO, we're not DFAT, we're not DSD. So, you know, we're a, a normal agency, we're not a spook agency and I know that if there was someone here from the spooks, they'd be shaking by now going, you know, you can't do that. But for the type of business we're in, this is a very, very acceptable risk-benefit for um, our our organisational profile. And the very last thing that we've got to do is we, um, we've identified that the first um, implementation, so that, you know, the basic functionality, the calendaring and so on, that was relatively easy because we'd already had Blackberries. So everybody understood that. They understood, well, you've just got mobile mail, you've got mobile whatever. Now we're moving into the, well, there's other things you can do, and particularly the office-type documents. We've recognised that what we've got to do now is um, identify the business changes that we're going to make. And what I mean by that is if all the executives, let's say, have got all of their uh, um, meeting papers securely inside the, um, inside the secure container when they get to a meeting and they're not taking all these big files which itself is a security improvement because they used to carry those files around and they used to take them overseas and so on. We had all sorts of hassles around that. But how do the files get there? Who puts them there? 
what's the numbering convention, naming convention, so all of these kind of office productivity type policies you've got to work out. Yeah, you've done the technology, but you know, one of the key groups we're working with at the moment is actually the, the executive assistants who prepare all that material to make sure that it is in the right place or the appropriate place for their, you know, their, their executives to find it. So um, that was a very quick run through. I have left a, a few minutes for uh, a few minutes for questions. Um, I appreciate it wasn't bits and bytes, so I apologise if you were disappointed with that. Happy to take questions, but if anyone sort of wants to catch me later, I'm happy to do that as well. Someone at the back there. The sandbox. Um, Okay, so do you mean the, the compromise of the sandbox itself or the compromise of the OS the sandbox is running on? The OS. Um, well, we factored it in as a, as a risk. It is a risk, and that's why I put that heavy caveat on there that, um, you know, ASIO may not use it for their services, and DFAT probably wouldn't as well. But it's no different to the risk that we've accepted for the past five years with remote access from home PCs. So it is a real, I'm not saying there's no risk, but it's the same risk and it comes down to us monitoring the environments we support, you know, the normal user, um, sorry, the normal security monitoring that everybody does to see what are the risks, what's out there. You know, if I heard that there was a, you know, a, a major iOS targeting keyboard logger tomorrow, well, we, you know, we'd, we'd have to take something to attack that. So it's not the risk doesn't exist, but we basically looked at is this a bigger or less risk than we've already accepted for our remote access services? And fundamentally, it's the same thing. There's a gentleman at the back there. Yeah, sorry. Okay. Um, you're probably stepping a bit outside my comfort zone, but that's all right. I'm not trying to dodge the question. Um, we've got the evidence that DSD have provided to us there is a DSD evaluation that came out oh, a month ago, two months ago. Anyway, there, there's, there's information out from DSD that they have assessed it. I mean, I'm not qualified to assess it, but DSD have and certain entities have in the States as well. Um, and certainly for that particular one, you know, if you talk to the vendors, they'll say, well, these are the certifications we got and these are the people that did it. So I guess my comfort is seeing that those certifications are credible. Um, that's about it, really. Sorry, gentleman at the front first. Yeah. Did you implement all of the DSD consumer guide? The hardening guide? Yeah. Uh, I know we implemented the hardening guide. Consumer guide I'm not familiar with. So I'd have, I'd have to double check. We implemented the hardening guide. Um, one, one interesting point we did um, run into was there, was there was a bit of pushback from users initially about having, even having a pin on their device. Um, it was only a couple of users, but they were very, very important users. Um, that, that took a little bit of negotiation, and once we get, got them over the line with that, then everyone else just went, yeah, whatever. Um, we did take the view that, hang on, we've... And, and, and at the end of the day, as you know, you've got to make a risk assessment. You've got to say, what business are we in? What business benefit do we get? What's the risk? We could have said, OK, no pins. I, I wasn't comfortable with that. Um, the security guys weren't comfortable with that. We could have said you've got to have a 12-digit really, really complicated thing that you can never remember and you write on a post-it note and stick on the iPad. And we said, no, that's, that's the wrong way in the other direction. So, yeah, we made a compromise, I guess. But you've still got the, the complex password 
around the secure container, and that's the key, the key thing, I guess. Yes, there are gentlemen in Britain. Yeah. Okay. Well, two two points. The first one, first point, point. That's exactly the discussion we had. Why do we need it? We almost came to the view we don't, but it's a bridge too far at this point in time. You know, it was almost like the perception of, hang on, yeah, we've got that that password on the secure container, but we're moving from there we might have to take it in a number of steps. So you're, you're quite correct. That was the very discussion we have. We've secured the container. Do we really need a pin? But in the end, and, and to be honest, my experience has been, you know, we may review this in six months' time and say we don't need it. It's way easier to take it off in six months' time than to add it in. So because it was a new system, we went, well, hang on a minute, make them have a pin, and if we decide we don't need to take it. So it's a valid point, I guess. It's a, it's a point for discussion. Um, yes, you can get Citrix. Um, I don't know how many people in the room have tried Citrix on an iPad or anything with a touch screen. Um, it works, and it works at a pinch, and I have used it. Um, to do many, many tasks, after about half an hour, you want to throw it out the window. And that is no comment on Citrix. That's no comment on the device. But it's the fact the device was designed for a finger, and most of the applications you're accessing through Citrix were designed for a big screen, a keyboard, and a mouse. And you try working through a big Outlook mailbox, you know, missing with your finger and not quite getting there. It's getting better all the time, but we did try it. And in fact, that was the first thing we made available on day one. We said, you can get access via Citrix. So we said, yeah, you've got access. But to be honest, it just didn't cut it on a, a finger-driven device. Um, okay. Sorry, am I? Yes, gentlemen over there. N now... Yeah, it's the Good Technologies um, product. I think it's called Good for Enterprise, I think, is the actual, the actual product. So, and it, it's delivering for us, but I think the critical, and again, not to in any way negate their product, it's working for us. The critical thing for us that got us over the line was that separation thing. It's an MDM. So, well, good is the MDM. So good puts the container on, but it's also the MDM. And you can do either. So if you like, and we've got this in our user agreement, our, obviously our first approach would be we'll wipe the container. We don't want to piss the user off just for the... Oh, sorry, this has been recorded, isn't it? We don't want to annoy the user just for the sake of it. But we have put in our thing that get out of jail that says we reserve the right to wipe it if we have to or nothing else works. So you can do, you can do either, basically. Um, I think I'm almost out of time, but maybe this gentleman over here, and if anyone else has got questions, I'm happy to talk to them afterwards. Yeah. No. No, we, we, we advise it, we educate them, we say, you know, if you've got stuff on there that you want, you should back it up. But basically what we don't do is we don't provide iTunes or any connectivity mechanism within the department to do it. And we actively remove iTunes if we find it. Um, so it's more of an education thing. But because we're not storing our data, well, our data's only in the secure part. That was the other thing as well I didn't mention. Sorry, very quick aside. Um, not only did we work out that the backups would have slaughtered our SAN and we'd pay thousands of dollars to store people's pictures we also realised that we'd be backing up government data that we then lost control over, potentially unencrypted or only encrypted inside the user's backup. 
So by saying it's in that container, container's backed up, but it's still encrypted. So again, it, it got us over that bridge. Look, thanks very much. Um, appreciate the questions. I will hand over to the next presenter, but feel free to contact me if you want further details.